Deceptions Podcast. Small Wonders with Laurel Moffat. I took piano lessons for many years. From the age of 8 to 18, I had almost weekly lessons. I enjoyed them, and I loved playing the piano. And you would think, after all that time and all that enjoyment of the instrument, that I would still enjoy playing now. And you'd be right. I would. I'm absolutely sure of it. If I hadn't forgotten how to play. I no longer play the piano because I've lost the ability to do it. I've not been able to play a whole song on the piano in I don't know how long. It's been years, decades even. And like most people who give up playing an instrument, I regret the loss of that skill. Not long ago, there was a set of surveys done of 3,000 American adults on their experience of playing a musical instrument. Around two-thirds of those surveyed had learned to play a musical instrument, most of them in childhood. And for younger adults, the percentage of those who had learned to play an instrument was just over 70%. And more often than not, despite the high rates of people learning to play that instrument at some point in their lives, many of these people no longer play. And of those who no longer play an instrument, roughly half regret giving it up. The specific percentages of those who regretted giving up playing an instrument change depending on the instrument that was played. Here are the rates of regret in descending order. Former players of the electric guitar, the guitar, and the piano have the most regret. Levels of regret then decline as you move from the drums to the electric piano, and then almost break even with the saxophone and violin, but jump down to the flute and again to the harmonica and clarinet before absolutely plummeting to the trombone. And the very final instrument the instrument of least regret, in fact, the one instrument that most people give up and never regret doing so, I wonder if you can guess what it is. That's right, the recorder. would be so sad. Many people learn how to play an instrument, and at least half of those people or more will quit that instrument. And of those, a sizable portion of them will regret their decision later. 
That's a lot of regret. And it's a lot of music not being made. Regret. Such a sad and largely silent song. I miss being able to sit down at a piano and play a song, or pick up a piece of music and start picking my way through it, note by note. I'd love to be able to just sit down at a piano and play. How did I lose it? How could I have forgotten? I had four piano teachers over the years. They were all women, each different from the other. My first teacher was my sister-in-law. She was very kind, but if she was being honest, she preferred the flute. The second was a former hippie who wore caftans and between instructions would tell me about the parties she went to on the weekend or about adventures from her past. The third was very serious and very proper. She was said to be the best teacher in my town. Her hair was tightly coiffed and hairsprayed into a helmet-like shape. Her house was cold and so perfectly appointed it could have been a museum. All the chairs in her home had backs almost as straight as hers. Each week when I walked into her home for my lesson, the music would run and hide. I could not play a note that didn't sound scared. The fourth teacher was last and best, a family friend who would ask me about my day, my classes, and my friends. And somehow, in the midst of our winding conversations, I learned how to play the piano. Four very different women with four very different approaches to teaching piano, yet who all began their lessons in the exact same way. Each would ask me as soon as I sat down at the keyboard, have you practiced this week? And specifically, they wanted to know, have you practiced your scales? Piano teachers love scales, and it makes sense why. Scales build finger dexterity. They're a workout for your fingers and help them get stronger and more flexible. Scales can also help a musician improve their timing. They're a set of practice notes that as you memorize them, your mind is freed up to concentrate on keeping time. In practicing scales, hands and fingers become stronger and faster and can more nimbly move. And such practice also improves the ability to improvise. Working within a scale familiarizes the player to the notes within that scale and the pattern of notes that make up that scale, training both the hands and the ear to quickly recognize them. Scales involve memory, the development of skill and strength and hearing, all of which aids in recognition and learning. Practice may not make perfect, but it does make something stronger and faster and better and faithful. It makes for remembering instead of forgetting. And this idea of practice, of continuing in a habit 
or way of playing or living or thinking is all through the Jewish and Christian scriptures. At the end of his life, in his last speeches to the Hebrew people before he died, somewhere on the plain of Moab, Moses reminds his listeners to practice the habit of remembering by reminding them not to forget God. He encourages them not to forget God at least 16 times. Here's just a couple. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Or again, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Remember them. Practice, practice, practice. Don't forget. And why? Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight, so that it may go well with you. The Apostle John picks up this theme about 57 books and around 700 years later. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. Why did I stop playing? I don't know. But I do know that I lost the ability to play the piano because I lost the discipline of practice. It doesn't mean I won't ever get it back again, but it does mean that right now, if I were to sit down at a piano, I would have nothing to play except possibly chopsticks. I remember thinking during those years I was learning the piano, what is the big deal about these scales? Why did every teacher want me to play them? I didn't particularly mind them, but I couldn't really see why they were so important. Why was something so repetitive, so mundane, so very important? And it seemed to be vitally important to each of my teachers, regardless of their approach to teaching piano, whether they were laid back or intense, whether they were an ex-hippie or a waspy rich socialite. Scales, scales, scales. Have you played your scales? Wow, genius. High five. Repetition is key to the acquisition of any skill. Whether it's knowing how to read, or draw, or paint, or write. It's true for bonsai, and cooking, and origami, and driving, and riding a bike, and of course, playing the piano. If you want to know how to do something, then you have to do that thing again and again. But not necessarily all at once, but step by step, letter by letter, note by note, prayer by prayer. 
You are beautiful. 你真漂亮。你真漂亮。你真漂亮。It's not an enormous distance in my mind between asking how a person loses the ability to play an instrument to other things a person might lose through inactivity or inattention, or through activity and attention, but directed always to the new and novel. Rather than to the old and familiar terrain of faithful repetition. In the repetition of an action, such as scales on a piano, the physical relationship and messaging between the cells in our brains is changed. It creates an active network of cells, and as that action is repeated again and again, the white matter surrounding that active network builds up and is strengthened, which results in faster and faster messaging between neurons, which makes for improved performance in something, which might mean getting faster or stronger or more dexterous or all of those things. Through repetition, through remaining, through habit and practice, and small faithful moments of the everyday, as faithful as scales, something can grow and improve. Something can be remembered and not forgotten. There's a round of poems that captures this long arc of playing and practicing across a life, and the faithfulness of repetition. It's a small string of poems called "Piano Lessons" by Billy Collins. My teacher lies on the floor with a bad back off to the side of the piano. I sit up straight on the stool. He begins by telling me that every key is like a different room. And I am a blind man who must learn to walk through all twelve of them without hitting the furniture. I feel myself reach for the first doorknob. He tells me that every scale has a shape, and I have to learn how to hold each one in my hands. At home, I practice with my eyes closed. C is an open book. D is a vase with two handles. G flat is a black boot. E has the legs of a bird. He says the scale is the mother of the chords. I can see her pacing the bedroom floor, waiting for her children to come home. They are out at nightclubs, shading and lighting all the songs, while couples dance slowly or stare at one another across tables. This is the way it must be. After all, just the right chord can bring you to tears. But no one listens to the scales. No one listens to their mother. I am doing my scales, the familiar anthems of childhood. My fingers climb the ladder of notes and come back down without turning around. Anyone walking under this open window would picture a girl of about ten sitting at the keyboard with perfect posture. Not me, slumped over in my bathrobe, disheveled. Like a white Horus silver. 
am learning to play, it might as well be spring, but my left hand would rather be jingling the change in the darkness of my pocket or taking a nap on an armrest. I have to drag him into the music like a difficult and neglected child. This is the revenge of the one who never gets to hold the pen or wave goodbye, and now who never gets to play the melody. Even when I am not playing, I think about the piano. It is the largest, heaviest, and most beautiful object in this house. I pause in the doorway just to take it all in. And late at night, I picture it downstairs, this hallucination standing on three legs, this curious beast with its enormous moonlit smile. The poem holds a life of playing, a life of practice and remembering. I think about playing the piano. I think about what comes from the minutes that grow into days, that grow into months and years and decades of faithfulness. Until it's the largest, heaviest, realest, most beautiful thing in the room of the kind of song that might grow from a lifetime of such practice. I could learn to play again, if I wanted to. All it takes is a little practice. I could start with a scale. Deceptions Podcast.